Hey guys, it's Melissa here from MelissaOatman.com. Welcome to another episode of Awaken Your Inner Awesomeness. So delighted you're here with us today. We have a very special guest. We have today Mr. Colin Jewett. He is an engineer, a learning coach, author, and he also helps psychologists to get licensed. And today he's going to be talking to us about learning and how to learn faster. And we're probably also going to dive into the whole educational system because you know that I'm a teacher as well. So this should be a fun and interesting conversation. So thank you so much, Colin, for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This will be fun. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. But before we dive into uh, what is currently going on with our educational system, I would love for you just to tell us a little bit about yourself. And you have a very interesting background. You have your hands sort of in a lot of different things. So uh, how did you start helping people to coach before learning? Yeah, um, it's a it's a little bit of a winding road. I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> um, the short version is, you know, so going all through school, all through high school, um, school was super easy for me. Uh, I, I was super bored all the time. I was the kid who was just staring out the window, not paying attention ever. I never took notes. I never studied. Um, and I, I did well in, in, academically. So that was, um, you know, that wasn't hard, but it was boring. And then I got to to college, I went to Purdue for engineering, and essentially everything flipped on me. Where I was the slow kid, I was the one who was really, really struggling despite doing all the things I was supposed to do. Um, so I got I kind of experienced both sides of, of the coin when it comes to uh, education and school. And a lot of people describe their experience negatively for one reason or another. And I think I kind of got both <laughs> both ends of that uh, spectrum. And so. Um, it was in college that I realized, because I was trying to think, you know, why, why did I do so well before without trying? And now I'm trying really hard and I'm doing terribly, <laughs> you know, I was trying to figure that out because that seems like a weird thing to happen. And I kind of came to the realization that it was in high school, the environment and everything I was used to, I was just well suited for that, at least just for straight up academic performance purposes. I didn't enjoy it, but um, as soon as I got put into a different environment where I had a different set of challenges, I was not able to adapt. And that really led me to start questioning, you know, do I actually understand how to think, how to use my brain, how to solve problems, or was it just because I happened to be in an environment where I could be successful before, you know, really no credit to me. It was just, you know, just a, a match in that way. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I really started to explore, you know, what is it, what does it mean to be able to adapt? And I started to really dig into what is learning, what is education? Um, and went on a little bit of a philosophical journey. I, I found Jonathan Levy's courses. If anyone's heard of him, he's, he's kind of a big name in the accelerated learning world. And uh, what I found was that I was able to do a lot of things I never realized I was capable of. Uh, so his courses kind of taught me how to hack, so to speak, different processes in my brain and do crazy things like memorize just absurd numbers of digits, which who cares? But, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's mostly a party trick. But what that helped me to realize, it's like, okay, there, there's, there's things that I've always been able to do that my brain has always been capable of. And I just wasn't even aware that they were there. 
And so that caused me to start questioning, what else is there? What else can I do that I'm just not even aware of? Um, and what capacity do I have that's just completely untapped? And that was really, I think, the start of my um, learning journey and my exploration of, you know, what are humans capable of? You know, what are the differences between people and how can you leverage uh, your strengths and find your strengths and things like that? And that's long story short, how I got into the coaching universe <laughs> started to help other people go on the same journey. Uh, I think that's so interesting because I think a lot of people who end up helping others, it's because they were looking for something within themselves first. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's always interesting to see people, they go out and they're trying to find answers for themselves. And they're like, oh, well, if I did this for myself, I can help other people as well too. So yeah. you helped other people learn how to learn faster. Is that kind of the gist of, of what you were doing then? Yeah. So over the past few years, um, I've worked with hundreds of people from all different backgrounds all over the world. And uh, originally what I was, you know, I was kind of flawed in my thinking because I was like, well, I'll just copy and paste essentially what I did <laughs> and it'll work really well. And that's when I started to, you know, realize that people are different, <laughs> which is obvious, but it's like you, you kind of, you figure out something that works for you. And then you just kind of assume you can, you can just, you know, give it to other people. Like, and yeah. work. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot has changed since the beginning. Now it's really helping people partner effectively with their own unique brain. That's kind of how I, I pitch it and how I share. Um, how do you actually figure out how your brain works and how to use it effectively and partner with it rather than fight it? Uh, so that's, that's what I do a lot now in my private coaching. That's really interesting. And I think a lot of people don't even understand or realize what type of learner that they are. And knowing that can make such a big difference in the way that you learn material. You know, as teachers, we're always taught that we need to teach to every learning style because you have so many different kinds of learners in your classroom. And it can be a challenge sometimes to do that, but it is so important because you see when you do certain activities that certain students will perform better than others. And it's not that they don't really understand the material, it's just the way that it was presented that you have to be able to appeal to every person's style, which is very different. But I love the point that you brought up that you would just copy and paste and do the same thing. And then you realized you needed to adapt. Because I see that a lot. A lot of coaches out there, people who have programs, it's a one size fits all, right? Like everybody goes through the same training, same program, but we're also unique and different that we're not going to have the same needs or, you know, um, weaknesses in certain areas. So I love that you recognize that and that you're specifically working on each individual, because I think that's probably so necessary. So what are some of the biggest takeaways and things that you've learned about learning and how people learn from working with uh, your program? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think there are a lot of misconceptions around learning. Uh, and I think, I think a lot of it does stem from the way that we do school. Uh, because uh, at least for me, I grew up thinking I was really smart because I was doing well in school. And so that was kind of, the, it's a really easy metric to use because why wouldn't you use that? When you're a student, you're getting grades all the time. It's like, okay, well, this essentially just tells me how intelligent and smart and good of a person I am. I mean, I think there's the students often equate their academic success with, you know, their 
value as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I definitely think I did that. And I think it's really easy to, to get stuck in that, that belief of, you know, if, if I'm not good at succeeding in this environment, doing it the same way that I'm always told to do it by other people, then that means I'm bad. I'm stupid. I'm a failure. I'm whatever. And I think that's why it was really helpful for me. I'm actually really glad that I struggled a lot in college because it it helped shake that understanding and realize that actually there's more to it. Like the, the way that we are, you're told to learn uh, in a sort of top down fashion, you know, maybe that'll work for you, but there's, there's really no good reason to believe that it will because I don't think it works very well for a lot of people. So to be more specific, in, uh, in traditional education, I use that with quotes a little bit because it's not that old the way that we do things, but um, students are told, you know, if you, if you can sit still, if you can shut up, you know, be quiet, sit there, do your homework, you know, do things on time, um, memorize, then you're smart, you're a good student, you're good X, Y, Z. And if you can't, if you struggle to keep still, if you struggle to be quiet, if you, you know, can't do things in this regimented way you're not a good student and you're not a very good learner and I think a lot of people really take that in and that's what I hear from my clients a lot is they just say well I'm just not I'm not smart I'm my, my brain's broken I have a terrible memory you know yada yada and I ask why do you think that and it's like well, it always goes back to well I really struggled in school I was never you know I saw kids around me who you would get straight A's without trying and I wasn't that kid I just couldn't do it um, and so we, we start to develop this belief that education and learning and school are all synonyms. They're all the same thing. And they're just not. Um, so I think a, a really good thing to, to realize is that, first of all, people's brains are different. I mean, there's kind of a, a catchphrase that's going around these days, like neurodiversity. You know, it's a thing. <laughs> you know, And I think it's really important to recognize that you know, those differences are not necessarily malfunctions. They can be, uh, there are such things as mental disorders and things like that, but just because you don't learn in the same way or as effectively as somebody else does in the same exact environment, doing the same things, doesn't mean that their brain works and yours doesn't. It just means that they work differently. And so, um, like when I talk to people who say, well, I have a lot of trouble, you know, paying attention when, or I'm really bad at math or something like that. I think the first thing to dig into is, are you interested in math? Are you curious? Do you actually have questions that you're trying to answer, things that you're, you're passionate about learning in this subject? And if they say no, it's like, well, <laughs> that, that's definitely something to look into. You know, It's because maybe it was presented to you in a way that just wasn't, wasn't interesting. It wasn't relevant to the things that you cared about at the time. It doesn't mean that you're terrible at math. It just means that the way that it was presented to you is not something that was interesting to you at the time. And if it was presented in a completely different way, and if it was relevant to the things that you cared about, you might now think that you're amazing at math. And, and that really might just be the only difference. Um, that was so. me. I was the one who didn't <laughs> like math. <laughs> math was yeah. not to me in an entertaining way. Yeah. And I, I want to give something uh, really practical to your listeners, a way that you can think about this that I think is really helpful. Um, so there's, there's lots of different ways you could conceptualize this, but there's two basic ways I like to 
share with people that, that you can approach learning a new concept or something new. There's synthesis and there's analysis. So there's a synthetic approach and there's an analytical approach. The analytical approach is the one that people are typically familiar with from school. And that's when you take something, you break it down into small pieces, you look at the small piece, try to understand the small piece, take all those small pieces that you hopefully now understand better, put them back together to get a big picture. So that's the analytical approach. You break something down, look at it, then try to fit it back in. The synthetic approach is kind of the opposite. You look at, you first look at the big picture and you try to understand the why behind things. You try to understand the purpose. So if we were looking at like a car engine, for example, the analytical approach would say, okay, in order to understand this engine, we're gonna take it apart into its constituent elements. We're gonna analyze those very carefully. We're gonna look at them. We're gonna put them together and hopefully we'll understand how the engine works. The synthetic approach would be like, what is an engine? What is it for? What is it helping us do? How does it interact with the greater system? How does it help us to meet our goals? And then only once you've answered those questions, you say, okay, well, what are the mechanisms that actually enable it to do that? And the reason that this distinction is important is because it's extremely hard to learn something when you start with analysis. So what that means, if you've ever walked into a math class, for example, you sit down in the math class and your professor you know, has drawn some things on the board and says, today we're learning about linear regression and they start going into formulas and you're sitting there with a blank stare like, I have no idea what's going on. It's because the professor, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the teacher went straight into analysis. They, they took a, a small element of something and you're not even sure what that something is. It's just a small piece of something. And they immediately started to analyze it without ever giving you context. And if you feel like, man, I'm, I'm not good at math. And that is the experience you had. That's probably one of the main reasons why you think you're not good at math is because it's extremely hard for anybody to start with analysis and actually make sense of what they're doing. Uh, so one thing I help my clients to do and one thing I'd recommend um, to the audience is when you're approaching something new, a new concept, you want to start, always start with synthesis. First, start by asking, you know, why is this important? How does this help me reach this goal? How does this solve a certain problem? What problem is this supposed to solve? So for example, with linear regression, you'd first ask, why did anybody bother coming up with this? Like, what was the history behind this? Because at some point, somebody had a problem and they figured out the linear regression formulas as they were trying to solve that problem. If they hadn't had a problem first, they never would have come up with it. So if you don't understand the original problem, it's extremely difficult to understand the answer. So you have to start with questions, not with answers, and then work backwards to the questions. That's, that's very difficult. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And uh, what we always were told in math was just, you know, kids would always ask, well, what am I going to need to use this? And they couldn't really come up with a lot of <laughs> answers for us. And so I think you're right. That does make it difficult because you're thinking, why am I just learning this random concept for what reason? So when it comes up on a Jeopardy category, like one day I might know the answer to that, you know, why? Is this <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It is important to understand why you're learning things. And often when teaching in, you know, a foreign language, we do explain like this is why we're, mm -hmm. why we do what we do. So makes sense. Yeah. And it seems intuitive when, when people hear it, they're like, that makes sense. But then you actually look at their approach to, to learning new things. And most people don't do that. Um, they just start with like, I need to learn this. And they don't 
it's not like okay well why do you need to learn this specifically you know what is it about this or why do you need to get a textbook on it why can't you go to youtube what's the reasoning behind that because there's an assumption there and it might be a bad assumption um so when it comes to learning the the process that is effective for people is you, you do synthesis then you do analysis and you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth so you start by asking what was the original problem that somebody had or what's the problem that i have that causes me to need to find a solution <clears throat> yeah yeah go, go ahead <laughs> i was just gonna say do you ever find when you're working with people do you have people who because i know myself like if i walk into a math class i have a like cold sweat you know just mm -hmm. fear-based panic stricken because i've had such bad experience my whole mm -hmm. you know high school career with math do you find when you work with people that you have people who are kind of afraid of learning oh yeah oh yeah almost every time um there's so this actually i think this this is a really useful discussion to jump into too um i found and i think my my psychology my foray into the world of psychology in the past couple of years has really helped me to understand this better but i found that when i talk to people they have two to three voices in their head whenever they're learning something new and they're the same voices. And I just see them over and over and over again. If you, and if I'd be really curious, I, I can kind of quiz you. <laughs> see, we can <laughs> dig into your brain a little bit, see if this is how it works for you. But usually, when, especially if it's something that they find unpleasant to learn, start to look at the language patterns that they're using when they're learning that thing, and you'll start to see that there there is a conversation happening, which means there's at least two people involved inside their head. Um, so let's say if you're you're taking a math test since we're talking about math and you're sitting there and you're saying things like, come on, you should know this. How do you not know this? Oh my goodness. You're so bad at this. You're talking to some, there's someone talking to somebody else. So it's like, who are those people that are talking and listening? And one of them is usually the, the student, the learner, or I like to call them the child. And usually people have a, an image of a younger version of themselves, whether they're conscious of this or not, that they're talking to. And then they have a parent teacher, you know, authority figure in their head that's doing the talking at that person. So they're saying, you're really bad at this. How have you not learned this yet? And they're talking down to this essentially inner child. And sometimes um, people will have a third character that's kind of a mediator in between the comforter that kind of steps in. And it's like, no, it's okay. It's okay. Like, here, try this different perspective. And usually if the mediator is there, people do a lot better. Um, but I'd encourage your audience, like if, if you're if you're trying to learn something and you find yourself, there's some self-talk going on, listen to the self-talk and listen, who, who are the characters there? Who's talking to who? Because if you think about it, if you were teaching, I mean, you, you said you, you're a teacher, right? So would you ever tell your, go up to your student and they're struggling with something and, and you just say, you are so bad at this. I cannot believe how bad you are at this. Like you yeah. should know this by now. <laughs> <laughs> Not if I wanted to keep my job. No, yeah, I mean that, but also I, mean, I know teachers do that. I would never ever do that to a student. Like anyone who's trying, like they're doing their best. So, you know, you just try to find other ways to help them. But you're you're right. Like as soon as you're mentioning that whole scenario, I pictured exactly who's telling me that I'm terrible at this. Mm -hmm. My eighth grade math teacher, she yep. would always, you know, I stop asking questions because she made me feel terrible for asking questions like you're an idiot, you should know this by now. She didn't say that, but that's how she made me feel. So I, that's understandable that probably some people have picked this up somewhere either. Oh yeah. You know, 
subconsciously from someone just either even just the look you give someone mm-hmm. when you're trying to help them if it's a look like wow you're an idiot like that can have a profound effect on someone yeah and i'll be working with you know um yeah, 65 year old woman and we're talking about this and she she'll realize as we have this discussion that i still have that teacher from fourth grade in my head telling me how stupid i am i've carried that with me my entire life and it's like that's debilitating and it's caused so much pain throughout your entire life and made you think that you're stupid and then you can't learn and until you're able to bring in that mediator, that comforter and, and change those, those voices, what's happening is you're conditioning yourself to, like you said, be afraid, have a panic response when you, when you get into a learning environment, sometimes of any kind, some people it's just generalized across like learning anything is terrifying. And it's because there's essentially been an abusive relationship living inside of your head for who knows how long. And I mean, we know how people respond to abuse. <laughs> And yeah. so it's not surprising that 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 inner child is is just absolutely terrified of of raising their hand or or even try, just trying to explore something that they've not been successful exploring before. Yeah, so that leads me to another question, because um, I know just in dealing with mindfulness, I did a little bit of research about trauma in the brain and how trauma affects the brain and how it affects learning. So have you what's your perspective i guess what's your take on that trauma and learning and how it affects one's ability to learn yeah um well there's there's a lot there um i think there are different responses to trauma Um, it depends on why the trauma occurred in the first place essentially a big picture trauma occurs when you are extremely unprepared for a situation. Um, in other words, the the strategies or the ways that you know how to operate to get what you want in a certain situation are so far off base. They're so ineffective um, that the event essentially shocks your brain into saying, that was so bad and the, the consequences of that, and we were so unprepared for that situation, we need to do everything we can, we can to make sure that never happens again. And it'll do that one of two ways. Either it will it will cause you to think about it nonstop. You'll have circle thoughts. Uh, you'll have nightmares. It will just be present all the time. And that's your brain saying, we need to figure this out. Like there's not a preset physiological response to deal with this. And so you need to consciously go through the work of, of figuring out how to solve this issue so it doesn't happen again this way. Or you have the opposite kind of response. This is what people describe when they say they just don't have, they've just lost memories. Like, I I don't remember that at all. It's completely gone. And that's essentially when your brain has bypassed the conscious memory part of your brain and essentially sent everything to the back and says, if this happens again, we will not have time to think about it consciously because conscious thinking takes a lot of energy and it's slow. We just need to be able to respond as quickly as possible. And so we are going to take the conscious element out of it and we're just going to send it to the back of the brain essentially so you can respond automatically. And that's when people say that they've just lost, they can't even recall something. It's because their brain's like, we don't have time for that. We're not going to have time to respond that way. Um, this is what people, at least partially, there's also like hormones in the moment that can cause this. But when people say they, they completely blank, like 
specifically with testing or giving speeches or, or, I mean, even in their job, they feel like I know this stuff and then I get into the situation and then I completely lose everything. It's because essentially your brain is perceiving whatever that thing is as a immediate physical threat. And when there's an immediate physical threat, the thing to do is not think consciously about it because that takes too much energy and too much time. And so it, it shuts that part off. The cortisol levels rise in your hippocampus, causing it to be on a not able to essentially recall declarative memories, bring them forward, and you just go into fight or flight or fawn or freeze or whatever. Um, so it's really, it's really important. Like it doesn't, this is what I, I tell people, like no, no amount of grinding or studying is going to help you on a test. If when you get to that test, you're immediately clicking into that panic mode. Like, I don't care if you studied for the past 50 years, you won't have access to that anymore. So that's what you actually need to address. You need to start changing that relationship and resolving that abusive relationship that's in your brain that's causing you to have a panic response or else no amount of, of, of studying or learning or preparing is actually going to help you. And how do you coach people or what do you tell people when they start having that voice in their head that says, you're so dumb, you can't do this? Like what, how would you tell someone who's experiencing that what advice, I guess, would you give them? Yeah, it, that, that's when I think it is really important to bring the third personality in. And one of the reasons for that is because it's really hard to actually, if, if you have that character in your head, maybe it's an old teacher, maybe it's a parent, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's an older sibling in your head that's extremely negative to, to you. It's really hard for you to imagine that character being nice because that's, that's not who they are in your brain they are that mean abusive person mm -hmm. so you can't just like oh i'm going to make them say nice things now it doesn't really work that way that's why i think it's actually really important to bring in that third uh, character that third personality and if you can it can be a version of yourself sometimes that works for people usually what you need to do is actually call on hopefully you've had some sort of positive person like that in your past uh, maybe it's a mentor, maybe it's a grandparent, uh, a good friend, and you need to bring that personality forward to essentially stand in the gap and stand in between. Uh, and so you start to allow that person to speak to the child in that situation. And over time, what can happen if you if you're really consistent with that, is that they completely block out the other voice, and that one just fades away and you get back to the just the two, two characters left and they're they're positive. <laughs> But it's hard. It's not easy. It's not something that just happens overnight. It's 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 difficult. And I love the advice of using someone in your life who's been kind or showed you kindness or encourages you, because I think a lot of people find it difficult for themselves to be that positive voice because we're so yeah. critical and we want to beat ourselves up anyway. So oftentimes that critical voice is just ourselves, you know, beating up our own self over our shortcomings. And so finding someone in your life who inspired you, who motivated you, that's a really good piece of advice because I think a lot of people would find it hard to be their own mm -hmm. cheerleader. Yeah, and essentially, I mean, even if you, maybe you haven't had a person like that in your life, if you're listening to this, one thing that's nice about the modern world is you can find those people and you don't actually even have to interact with them in person. I mean, if you're listening to this, Melissa could be your person. Yeah, I <laughs> like love that, it. I love it. I'll be your That cheerleader. could be the voice. <laughs> you know, it doesn't like, and so you have access to uh, 
a lot of people, you know, through the internet and, and podcasts like this. And so essentially what you're doing is you're, you're taking on those characters, you're acting. Um, and, and that's, you know, often people, actors or like professional actors will, will say that, you know, they're extremely stressed and they're worried, but then once they get on the stage, it's all gone because it's no longer them performing. If they can actually get into the character, they've completely adopted a different personality and that person is not scared. And so that's something that your brain is capable of doing. It's really fascinating is you can be multiple people and you always are. And that's why you even have that negative voice in the first place um, is because you have the ability to be multiple people at once. And that's really important when you have this kind of thing. So even if you don't feel like you can be the encourager for that student, that child, that younger self, you can take on, um, you can essentially play the part by taking on the personality of, of whoever it is that, that serves that role well for you. Yeah, I love that. I'll be your cheerleader. You can envision me in your head telling there you, you, go. you can do it. You got it. You can do this. You got this. Uh, I love that. So going back to just education in general, what are your thoughts on our current educational system and how things are going right now? So I'm pretty extreme. Uh, <laughs> Um, a lot of people don't really agree with my perspective and that's okay. Um, but I, I think that the way that schools is done is in a lot of cases, it's kind of child abuse. And the reason I know that's an extreme position to take, and I'm not saying that every teacher is abusive. That's absolutely not true. I had a lot of fantastic teachers that are still to this day, you know, some of the people I really look up to. Um, but the reason I say that is because we're, we're, I think most parents would agree that a goal for their that they have for their kids in school is to come out being self-sufficient, autonomous people who can pursue a life that they want to pursue effectively. Mm -hmm. And they do that within, at least in America, inside of a, a democratic society. And one of the issues with the current school system that's that's pretty major, in my opinion, is that it's authoritative. So um, or authoritarian rather, uh, and it's top down. So students don't have a say in what they do. Um, they're told top down, these are the rules. This is where you need to be. Um, we're, we're the ones who tell you how good you are at different things. You don't get to self-assess. Um, it's completely authoritarian. And so we're trying to raise children to be effective in a democratic society but they're raised in an authoritarian structure up until the age of 18 for a lot of kids, sometimes more than that, sometimes a little less, but um, that's just, you're essentially preparing kids. I'm not saying you, I'm saying <laughs> the system, so to speak, the way it's structured. If we talk about trauma in terms of trauma, it occurs when you're, you're extremely unprepared for a certain situation and you don't, your brain doesn't have a way that knows how to respond to it then if we are preparing students or preparing children to live inside of an authoritarian structure, then we throw them out into a democratic society in which they're, you know, at least supposed to be free to make their own decisions. That's a very extreme transition. And a lot, I think a lot of the mental health issues that we see on the rise in our country are a result of that. People don't know what to do. They're not prepared and it's a traumatic transition for them. And I, I think that's a shame. Yeah. Well, I agree with you in a lot of ways um, in in the educational world. We're seeing some change with that, not everywhere, obviously, but uh, there are a lot of programs now that 
emphasize students taking over. Um, there are some programs where a lot of things are student led, which I think is a really good thing because there's a lot of empowerment there. When you give students options and give them the ability to make choices, they tend to take more ownership over what they do and their learning if they're able to decide this is what I want to do or this is what I want to learn. Um, so I, I would agree with you there. I don't know how we get to that system entirely. It would take a huge major overhaul, which I don't know that uh, I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. But I would agree no. that there definitely needs to be uh, a change. I think that the system we have currently isn't really working for a lot of students. But again, it's it's one of those issues that you know education just seems to go on the back burner a lot. People <laughs> talk about how important it is, but then they don't want to fund it or do anything to change it. So yeah, yeah, it's a not an easy problem to fix at all. <laughs> no, no. And, and the thing is, you know, we, we have to understand that we're still basically doing the same things we've always done. And yet our society is changing so rapidly, mm -hmm. but education really isn't changing along with it. And that's a huge problem. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's yeah. I mean, my, uh, my kind of life mission at this point is, is all around educational uh, change and you know i'll say it on this podcast uh, you'll come back in seven years and see how i'm doing but my goal is to start a school in fort collins that's that's really my passion what i want to do um we'll see if i'm successful or not it's not an easy <laughs> thing to do most people who try fail so we'll see but um but yeah that is my goal that's a very lofty goal but i i really admire your um passion and ambition because one of the things is we could sit back and, and complain and say, well, it's this isn't working and but it's entirely a different thing to step up and to try to be the change that you wish to see in the world. And that's a very noble and positive thing, because um, if you can figure it out, <laughs> you would be helping a lot of people. And I think um, with your background and just helping people to learn, seeing uh, what hinders people from learning. I think that that's a, a huge step and a huge advantage for you in going into the educational system. You know, I'm, I'm personally of the belief that we really need to incorporate things like mindfulness in the classroom um, to help, as you said, add that positive third person intervening to help kids with their self-confidence and their self-esteem. I think that's absolutely necessary. Um, and schools too. So I would be interested to see how your, what your plan is for your school. That's uh, an amazing goal. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, at, at one point, you know, how I first came to think about it was just from my work coaching people. Cause I would just see, it's like, wow, I, I'm working primarily with people thirties to sixties. Um, they're not fresh out of school usually. They've been out for a while and I get to see the long-term impacts um, specifically when it comes to learning and people's feeling of preparedness to live the life that they want to live. And all I could think is like, you know, everything I'm seeing over and over and over again, this could have been resolved very early. You know, it didn't have to be this way. This was, this was, you know, children know how to learn. <laughs> And when they're when they're born, yeah. <laughs> that's how they learn to speak and walk and do all the crazy things that they learn to do. Yeah. 
And I think that a lot of adults have just, they've lost it. It's, it's been crushed out of them in a lot of ways. They don't, they don't realize that they have that ability anymore. Um, and that's, that's the problem I'm, I'm trying to address. I will say I'm not even trying to reinvent the wheel. I do think that there is a model out there already in, in existence. That's really good. Um, are you familiar with, with the Sudbury model? I'm not. Okay. I would definitely encourage you to look into it, encourage your audience to look into it. It is, um, it's going to definitely appear radical if you're <laughs> used to what we consider now to be traditional education. A lot of people don't really get it because uh, it's, it's so different, but um, that, that's the approach that I would take. Okay. And then what is it called again that people can look up? Uh, yeah, it's, so if you look up like Sudbury Valley School in Massachusetts, that was the first one. It was founded in 1968 and it's still running. Um, but there's lots of them around the country. I think there's the Circle School, which I believe is in Pennsylvania. Um, I spent a week at one of these schools recently uh, in Denver. It's called Alpine Valley. But um, it's a really, really cool model. Okay. I will definitely have to look into that because I'm always looking to see how that I can improve what I do, you know, every day. So that will be interesting for me to go and do a little research on that. Yeah, I would also recommend check out. Um, do you know who Peter Gray is? Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Peter Gray? Awesome. Yeah, he's um, he knows his stuff. Yeah. Well, awesome. So this has been such a, an educational session for me because um, the brain is such an interesting thing and learning wow i mean it's it's interesting and there's so much information out there on how people learn and, and what's the best way but um you've definitely given us some tips to take with us when we're trying to recall information so i thank you for coming on here and sharing your wisdom with us if there's anyone out there listening who says you know hey i might like to work with you or i want to I want to follow you and, and learn more about what you do. What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I mean, if you just Google me, you'll find lots of stuff. <laughs> so that's one way to do it. Uh, if you are really interested, uh, I do teach a live uh, cohort-based course on maven.com. It's called Discover Your Inner Super Learner. It's a little cheesy, but it's a great, <laughs> it's a great time. Uh, I've done a couple cohorts and um, it's been really good. So if that's something you're interested in, you can sign up on a wait list there. I'm not sure exactly when the next cohort is going to run. Depends on when you're listening to this, but um, because uh, my my first child is due next month, so oh, <laughs> I'm going to be a little busy for a while. Yeah, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, but I'll run it again at some point. So if people are interested, they can go there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your knowledge with us and uh love that you're going to try to start your own school. I'd love, I'd love to follow back up with you and see how you do there. Yeah, hopefully it goes well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Colin, for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to thank you guys for being here with us today, too. As always, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Please leave a positive review from wherever you're listening. You can become a patron and follow me to get two extra episodes per week. The information is in the show notes. You can also work with me. You can go to melissaoatman.com. You can follow me on social media. All of the links are in the show notes. As always, I hope you guys have a beautiful day from wherever you're listening. I am sending you so much love and light. And I will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.